The title I have given to this devotion is A Time for Agony. And I believe that the reason will become clear to you as you consider the words in our text. I will immediately say that these are gloomy words, almost depressing, you might say. And I, I sometimes feel tempted not to give much thought to passages like this because they don't tend to make me feel comfortable and at peace. But I am convinced that you and I can draw some very profitable lessons that are relevant for the day, for the days we are living in today, if we pay close attention to what God is conveying in the verses that we have in front of us. We are here dealing with words spoken by the prophet Micah. And it will be useful for us to consider a few things regarding his times. The first lesson I want you to learn from this text is that just like us, Micah lived and ministered in times of great sin. If you skim read the, the seven verses leading to our text in Micah 1 right now, you will see that God is presenting a legal case against Samaria and Jerusalem. He's announcing great judgments because there had been great sin. You know the story of these kingdoms. Israel, the northern kingdom, had rejected the true worship of the Lord and established the idolatrous cult of the calves. They also worshipped Baal and the cruel pagan gods of the surrounding nations. They had forsaken the Lord to follow idols. And every single king in that realm was an enemy of the Lord. Judah, the, the southern kingdom, on the other hand, had, had some, some godly kings and some that were very, very wicked. One of the most ungodly kings of Judah was Ahaz. And if you look at verse 1 in Micah 1, you will see that our prophet ministered precisely during his reign. 2 Chronicles 28 and 2 Kings 16 tell us that Ahaz walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He worshipped Baal and burned his children in the fire. He built high places and offered, offered worship there. Because of his idolatry, the Lord sent the king of Syria against him. Ahaz was defeated. He was defeated by the Syrians. He was defeated by the Edomites, by the Philistines, and by Israel, the northern kingdom. And, and you could think that maybe that humbled his heart, but that's not what happened. Instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to the gods of Syria. So he crowned his iniquity by having a copy of a pagan altar built in the very temple of the Lord. That is profanation. We also read that he cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the temple and he made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So I just want you to, to imagine this. Here you have a picture of full-blown apostasy. The king has turned to pagan gods and he has profaned 
everything that is holy. He's worshipped idols and closed the doors of the house of the Lord. This is great, great sin. Michael lived in times of great sin. And you and I can relate to him, right? Our nations are no longer what they used to be, especially for those of you in nations with a strong reformed heritage. What has happened? Large-scale apostasy. Nations like England, Scotland, and the U.S., which used to be beacons for the world, are now given over to all kinds of sin. And our nations have received temporal judgments. We've gone through natural disasters, political and economic crises, terrorism, and even worse. But our lands haven't turned back to the Lord. They have turned instead to the false gods of naturalism, atheism, scientism, and Marxism, just to name a few of them. We, we, we can even say that the wicked have tried to build altars to those idols in the very house of God. And to a degree, they have been successful. Our generation is seeing unprecedented abominations as institutions that call themselves Christian churches are inviting people to pray to Allah and allowing their sanctuaries to be used by sodomites. But our enemies don't, don't think that is enough. They want to move forward. They want to close the doors of the house of God. We are now seeing what we call cancel culture. They want the church to be silent. They want the destruction of Christianity. My brethren, the times, our times are evil. But we are not the first generation of believers living in wicked apostate times. Micah's times were very similar to ours. He also lived in evil, evil times. And in his evil times, the Lord revealed to Micah that there would come severe judgment, severe judgment upon Samaria and Jerusalem. In verse 6 of chapter 1, we read that God would pour down the stones of Samaria into the valley. You need to remember that this, this was a city that was built upon a mount. And, and the Lord said that the enemies would throw its stones down into the valley. That is total desolation. That is the, the incurable wound that we read about here in verse 9 in our text. And that destruction would even come unto the gates of Jerusalem, the city of God. Now, you and I can relate to Micah here once again. Because you and I also know that there is judgment, judgment coming upon this world. In Proverbs 16, 18, we read that pride goeth before destruction. If there is one word characterizing today's society, whether you live in Chile or in Canada, that is the word pride. And the Bible says 
that that is what comes right before destruction. Destruction is coming, brethren. Do you see? All this pride will bring judgment if there is no repentance. That might mean that, that temporal judgments will come. Our economies might collapse. Or we might be militarily defeated and taken captive by, by, by other nations, as has happened many times in history. But, but ultimately, we know that a day is coming with the, when this world will be destroyed. As we read in 2 Peter 3.10, The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. And I haven't even mentioned the eternal damnation coming upon individuals who never bow their knees before Jesus Christ. As I am speaking, there, there are hundreds, hundreds of people entering hell. They are receiving a righteous judgment for their rebellion against the Lord. That is eternal perdition. It will never end. And these judgments, we can say that they, they, they reach the very gates of the city of God, the church of Christ. We know that our congregations are being affected by all of this. We hear of theological apostasy and of people leaving the church to, to go after the world. And all the judgments upon this world affect the church somehow. And, and we know that judgment begins at, at the house of God. So do you see the parallels? Micah's context and your context, my context, are extremely similar. So it would be wise for us to follow Micah's example and act the way he acted in his context. Now, what, what did he do? Look with me at verse 8 of chapter 1. We read, Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. Here you have a picture of agony. The prophet is crying. But he's not just crying. He's wailing and howling like an animal. His cries are so intense that they don't seem human. He's, he's also expressing his deep grief in his attire. We read that he went stripped and naked. That doesn't mean that he wore no clothes. It means that he took off his outer garments to make it clear to the world that he was in deep distress. That was a customary cultural expression of grief. Micah is agonizing. He's agonizing before the Lord, but he's also agonizing before other people. Now, why would he do this? For one thing, he was filled with sadness because his own dear people and his own cities would experience the judgment of God. And he was sure of that. But commentators also mention 
that he was probably trying to wake up those who had grown insensitive, those who were living as if no judgment was coming. When they would see Micah, they would have to think about the judgment. And brethren, when I studied this passage, God convicted me because I came to see that I am not agonizing for souls, cities, and nations. We live in a world that is full of amusement and it's so easy to be caught up in all the noise. And we forget that every time the clock ticks, this world is a second closer to coming to judgment. Why am I not filled with compassion? Why am I not filled with holy sadness? As I, as I think about the eternal destiny of the millions of people who are without Christ. Why don't I agonize before the Lord confessing the sins of my family, my church and my nation? Why do I interact with unbelievers without giving them, giving them the slightest hint that the wrath of God is hanging upon their heads and that they need Christ? Is it my own unbelief? Is it fear of man? Is it gross selfishness? There is probably a mixture of all of that. But here is something I am sure of. It is wrong. It is wrong. Dear brother, dear sister, I am not trying to say that we should be gloomy people who never smile or show joy in the Lord. Of all people, we have solid reasons to rejoice. But of all people, we also have solid reasons to agonize. We know eternal realities that others can't see because they are blinded by their sins. I am trying to say that we must agonize. There must be agony in our prayers and there must be agony and even tears as we witness to others. We should be speaking to the lost in such a way that they will either think we are crazy or consider the judgment that's awaiting them without Christ. And that's, that's the example that we see in, in our Lord's ministry. That was also the attitude of the Apostle Paul. So brethren, let's think about these things. Let's pray that God will pour out his Holy Spirit upon us so that we might truly agonize for souls today. Let's never forget that judgment is indeed coming. Amen.